This is Mark White of the Jesco Bike Podcast. Last week, we interrupted our podcast to talk about the tragedy with my call. I'm afraid we have to do this again. The cycling community lost another one of its greatest this week. Steve Tilford died in a tragic motor vehicle crash this weekend. He wasn't cycling at the time, but returning from a ride when tragedy struck along the Colorado-Utah border. Steve was a four-time U.S. cyclocross national champion. He won the first inaugural U.S. mountain bike race national championships. And he was a two-time world champion in master cyclocross competition. Ray Bennett, a good friend of mine, posted an interesting take on Steve Tilford. As a kid, Ray had the poster on his bedroom wall that featured Steve Tilford on the Schwinn Wheaties team. That was his introduction to Steve Tilford. Ray posted a photo of Tilford's poster and this story. I asked Ray if I could share the post. He writes, So this past year, I got to spend just a couple seconds with Steve at the Jingle Cross in Iowa City. Steve had just been pulled from the men's elite race because of an irrationally applied 80% rule. I watched him for a while as he watched the leaders finish out the rest of the race. He didn't look pissed, and this is one of the few times I didn't see four or five people surrounding him so I thought I would go up and say hi. I congratulated him for a strong start, but we both kind of looked at his kit and there was barely any mud on it. It was the opposite of the Me Joan Green Coke commercial. I had told him about the Schwinn Wheaties poster that hung on my wall as a kid, and he told me a great story about how he got the Paramount frame in that photo back from a guy that was trying to sell it on eBay. He proved that it was his bike because it had his name stamped under the bottom bracket. He asked me if I raced. I kind of laughed and said, no, my going fast days are done. I'm a ride with my buddies kind of guy now. Then he laughed and said, that's actually the kind of guy he was too. Ray continues to write, the volume of posts with condolences is staggering, but I spent most of my lunch hour reading through them. After the 20th post, I realized maybe Steve wasn't kidding when he said he was a riding with his buddies kind of guy, too. So many of the posts were about how Steve came into town for a weekend to ride bikes, buddies reflecting on stories about getting caught in mountain passes without the right clothing, and a troubling amount of stories of Steve suturing up riders so they didn't have to visit the ER. But when it's all rendered down, Steve's blogs and Facebook posts and tweets and regaled tales of lore, they were all about the same thing. You should really be out riding your bike. You should really have fun doing it. Racing, riding with your buddies, enjoying coffee mid-ride. You should really be out riding your bike. From the Jesco Bike team, we extend our condolences to Steve Tilford's family and friends. listening to the Jesco Bike Podcast. I'm your host, TJ Jeskowitz with Ragbri. And I'm Mark Wyatt from the Iowa Bicycle Coalition. This is the podcast where we talk about bicycles just for the fun of it. 
We'll hear some tales from the Ragbri Nation, talk to some different people throughout the country about bicycling, but taking on that aspect that is fun to ride a bike instead of just how fast you can ride that bike. So we're going to talk about all those good social sides of cycling. So come for the bikes, stay for the fun, and leave with a smile. This is episode number 13, lucky number 13, TJ. Wow, Baker's Dozen. (laughs) Hard to believe we got 13 under the belt, huh? You know, uh, I think that's okay. I think we're doing a heck of a job, and, and uh, this has been a lot of fun to get us uh, get us up in the double digits. I think we're getting used to doing this podcast thing. It, it really has, and um, you know, we're getting some really good feedback um, from our listeners. And I know I was speaking over at the bike club in Ankeny and uh, the Lake Country Cyclists at their annual banquet, and just talked to a couple of different people that have been listening to the podcast, and they just said. You know, really enjoy it. It's, it's just a voice that we've been missing. Um, so thank you and Mark for for putting this on and Kyle, Brian, and, and Andrea as well. So uh, it was just good to hear that feedback from some different people throughout throughout our state that have been tuning in each and every week. Yeah, I'm starting to get people come up and saying, hey, your voice is familiar. Are you the guy on the podcast? You know, that's <laughs> a little scary. Yeah, yeah. But, well, you know, that's okay. That's all right, yeah. So what's going on lately with you, Mark? And you probably got a little stuff going on over at the Capitol. What's going on? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm back at the I'm back in Des Moines this week, so we're uh, ready to go to the Capitol tomorrow. We're doing kind of a launch party for the I Will cool. um, Conservation Fund. This is the Iowa Water and Land Legacy. Hmm. This uh, has to do with conservation and water quality. Uh, this is a, a constitutional amendment that started about seven years ago. It had to pass two legislature, legislatures, and then the voters had to approve it. And what it said is any time that the legislature decides to raise the sales tax, three-eighths of that next penny will go into land conservation, water quality, and trails. Great. Um, and, and, yeah, I mean – it's kind of exciting because it creates some certainty in funding for trails and, and, and land conservation and water quality in an, in an era where you're not always sure what the state level of funding is going to be. So this is, okay. this is old people planting trees that they'll never see the shade of. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's generations to come. Planting um, trees. That reminds me of a little story <laughs> that I once had a guy seriously came up to me and said, you know, it'd be really good if you planted trees all along <laughs> the Ragbri route so we can have shade during the day. Yeah. I'm like, you know yeah. what? That's a just a genius idea. Why didn't we think of that before? <laughs> or or maybe 40 years ago. I mean, Kara's call, what were you thinking? Should have planted those trees, you know, we'd have majestic oaks at this point. But oh well. That guy wasn't around 40 years ago to 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 part with that wisdom. So sorry, yeah. sorry for cutting you off. It just it just yeah, cracks no, me I, up when people say planting trees. The other thing that we're dealing with in the legislature that didn't happen 40 years ago um, is text messaging. And mm-hmm. uh, there's two two bills going through the legislature right now. Uh, one to make text messaging a primary offense. It's really a no brainer. You know, right now the cops have to have you for something else before they pull you over for text messaging. The second law is. Uh, if you hit or kill somebody while you're texting and driving. Um, and uh, uh, it doesn't matter if they're a bike, if they're a car, if they're a pedestrian, if they're a bus, doesn't matter. Um, it becomes a reckless driving penalty. And it's a much more serious penalty in Iowa. Sure. So I've been pretty darn busy. And uh, it's pretty exciting to see a bill that, that uh, 
you know, we worked with and, and it was really inspired by, uh, Grace Harkin who died, uh, from a driver that was text message sure. once she was riding her bike and, and, uh, well, those are some needed things to, to get past in our state. I know just anyone that's been out on a bicycle and seeing the people that are text messaging out there on the road. I mean, I think that's a, just just an absolutely needed uh, one. And then obviously, you know, in, in the unfortunate uh, case where someone is hit and, and killed, just to have some, some penalties in place, hopefully that'll deter people in the future from, from taking those attitudes on the road. Yeah. Well, I'm feeling like I'm kind of a downer today. Do you? Oh, well, you you know what? Hey, later this week, I know me and you, we're going deep in the heart of Texas. We've got a board meeting with the Bicycle Tour Network, which is basically uh, an association of all the the massive bike rides and small bike tours. And and so I think we're probably going to record our opening from probably San Antonio this week. Yeah, and I'm excited because we get to see Steve Schultz, who we have interviewed on the pod before. He's a friend of the pod. You bet. Um, so yeah, we'll get to see uh, we'll get to see the cowboy. Yeah, um, yeah, that'll be great. And through that association, um, today's guest on our show, we've got to know pretty well Nelson Vales or Nelly or the Cheetah, whatever you want to call him. I know Nelly's going to ride Ragbrag in this summer, so um, excited to hear. I think Kyle Munson interviewed Nelly, the Cheetah, for this this week's edition of just go bike yeah nelly is such an easy person to get to know <laughs> I, he's so much fun and hopefully you know we should remind him especially if he's going to listen to this podcast i think he still owes me a pair of those custom nelly shoes <laughs> that he's got i i, I gotta remind him of that that was those are sweet those are sweet <laughs> well good just another uh plug by the way you talk about fun stuff on april 26th which is a wednesday the just go bike team is going to have a podcast meetup and basically 530 over at Peachtree, the Des Moines branch, we're just going to meet there, go for, I don't know, 12, 15 mile ride, which, whichever way the wind's blowing, whatever. Just just have have some fun and just, you know, catch up with some of the listeners of the podcast and hear what they're saying. So uh, just going to be a little fun little outing. We'll probably do a couple more of these throughout the state, but this one's going to be in Des Moines at Peachtree. We'll have more details, but April 26th, mark your calendar. I'm going to miss it. I, I have my bicycle class that day. I don't know. I, we haven't covered that yet. The bike but. professor. Hmm. <laughs> we'll talk more about this in the future. But okay. I I'm, I got a commitment. I, I got to teach these students thirsting, thirsting for the knowledge of bicycling. Oh, good. Well, since you're, you mentioned over there at the University of Iowa, I, I do want to put a plug in for our different sponsors. And one of them is the Iowa City Coralville Convention and Visitor Bureau, which has been a major sponsor of the Jisco Bike Podcast. Uh, great folks over there. They put on some great events and just always love to visit that area. Also, Bikes to You, a bike shop and charter for, for Ragbri, as well as just a, just a fantastic bike shop in Grinnell, Iowa. And last but not least, of course, is Primal, which is the official jersey manufacturer of Ragbri and all the cycling wares. So without those sponsors, this Just Go Bike podcast could not be possible. So thank you to the, our sponsors for, for keeping us rolling. Excellent. I, I mean, you you couldn't nail it better because I know Iowa City, Corville, and North Liberty are trying to plant their flag and being one of the best bicycle, bicycling spots in the state. Uh, Coop does fine work over there, and it's my wife's favorite shop to go to for women's clothing. Mm. And, uh, you know, I can't say good enough about Primal Wear. Uh, Dave and the gang and everybody over there, we just placed orders for the Pigtails ride and, and for the Bay Coon ride. 
and I know we're going to get quality stuff out of yep. them. So I, I'm really excited about that. All right. We got a great podcast coming up. So sit back, relax, and listen to this edition, number 13 of the Just Go Bike podcast. Hey there, my Just Go Bike friends. I think I'm about to talk to the bicyclist with the best nickname in the game. I'm talking about the cheetah. The cheetah. Nelson Bales is on the line this week, ladies and gentlemen. He's the two-wheeled wonder from Harlem, New York, who pedaled his way onto the U.S. racing team in 1981, won gold at the Pan American Games in Venezuela in 1983, then became the first African-American bicyclist to win a medal in the Olympics, silver in 1984 in Los Angeles. Not to mention that he's an O.D., not to be confused with OG, OD, original dime, as in he was a bike messenger back when there were still payphones. We're also just one degree removed from Kevin Bacon. Vale stole the 1986 movie Quicksilver by racing a taxi carrying Kevin Bacon at the start of the film. Vale's retired from racing in 1995, but has remained an active bike icon, including his 2009 induction into the U.S. Bicycling Hall of Fame. Nelson, Cheetah, welcome to Just Go Bike. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much, Kyle. Yeah, no problem. It's it's great to talk to you. Great to talk to the Cheetah, somebody who has probably pedaled more miles than I will ever see in my lifetime. I, you know, the uh. first, <laughs> the first <laughs> thing that I'm really interested in, though, have in, in these recent years, you know, you started your life racing and people probably ask you about that all the time. Have you rediscovered some sort of more relaxed kind of bicycling in the last decade or two? Is there some sort of charmed bicycling that you found that you were missing uh, when you were pedaling those streets of Harlem uh, as a kid? Well, I tell you, um, it's like, you, you know, I wake up every day and I reinvent myself. Um, I'm still a sponsored athlete. Uh, I still, uh, I'm very close with Raleigh bicycles, my Olympic bicycles. And we have a few new surprises coming out in the summer of 2017, which mm. are some urban bicycles, um, still sponsored, uh, from numerous clothing manufacturers, but my title sponsor, the team at primal. And now I've created, uh, an opportunity where you can actually ride with me living history, uh, and it's called ride with Nelly. Mm. So, um, I host weekly events, uh, within rides. So my, my ride with Nelly rides begin within the ride. So normally we'll use, let's say Ragbri, hypothetically Ragbri. Mm -hmm. Last year I hosted a group of 30 guys, team Waldo. Okay. Total recreational. And that's just what I do now. There's no racing. There's no zero to 60 point A to B. Uh, <laughs> we stopped, we ate, we drank, uh, you know, from sun up to sundown. And this team Waldo group really opened my eyes up to an event that is called Ragbri that's been going on for so long. So within this ride, uh, I've created this atmosphere. Mm-hmm such as where you would want to do it again. If there was dancing going on, whatever we did, we did it as a group. And it was just such a wonderful experience. Yeah. So you're talking, of course, about the legendary, you know, the Register's annual great bicycle ride across Iowa, which snakes its way through small towns and the rural landscape, cornfields, much different from the city streets you grew up on. Your first love oh, must, yeah. your, your, first, your, your first love must still be urban bicycling. 
Um, I just was in New York City last week, you know, um, when this was being broadcasted. But uh, it was 20 degrees. <laughs> and uh, I had to commute between the subway and I did do a bike ride uh, one of those five days I was in town. And I still got it, Kyle. I still got it within <laughs> the city traffic, running light. Um, actually, if you YouTube me, can I say that? Sure. You know, you YouTube Nelson Vales. <laughs> it sounds vaguely, dirty. sounds vaguely dirty, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> You'll see so many of my video escapades because I'm, you know, I have this Shimano HD camera and I mounted on my bike. I rode through New York City last summer and did a little documentary and then I did it again uh, a week ago. I documented my ride every day at Ragby, right across Iowa. Come May, I'm going back home to New York for two different homecomings. Mm. That uh, it, it caters to two different demographics of cyclists and fitness enthusiasts. So uh, Ride with Nelly is a little bit. There's something for everyone, and I cater to all cycling levels. What would you have done if you had not become a bicyclist? Uh, I really can't answer that. That's that's a God question. Um, but through parenting and coming from uh, in uh, a non-broken home, you know, my parents raised us all under one roof. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm the baby of 10, and you probably Wikipedia that or something like that. But um, yeah, I, you know, I came up through the, the era of doing as you told and listening to your parents and going to school and making your bed, taking out the trash and just the daily chores that I think some young adults do not know today. You know, I mean, my mom allowed me in the kitchen mm-hmm. and to help out. So now I don't have to depend on a woman to cook for me because I can cook on my own. Things like that, you know? Yeah. So uh, what I would have been doing if I wasn't a bike racer, I would have had a job, maybe an executive of some company on the radar. Mm-hmm. about to lose it you know <laughs> who knows do you do you miss the new york of your childhood i mean i can only imagine coming up during the first wave of hip-hop and everything else you go back now and you still ride uh but are there little pieces of the city that uh, you kind of miss or that you have nostalgia for you know kyle that that's really touching to my heart i do miss new york city uh when i'm there it's always a great place to visit if I can afford to live there, I would. But right now I'm living in paradise, which is San Diego, America. So I'm four Ks, two and a half miles, two miles, an easy 20 minute walk to the beach. Mm. I'm right at sea level. Uh, I only rode 50 miles today. I went mm. inland a little bit where it was quite warm up and then down the other side over to the coast to meet some friends. And we rode along the coast for 20 miles. So, and you're looking at the surfers and the sun kind of setting, but, uh, and, you, and there's a lot of people doing fitness walks. So I'm in the fitness community now while I'm living in the area of San Diego, Del Mar. Well, you, you definitely made me jealous already, bicycling on the beach and describing that scene right there. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm ready to come join you. <laughs> what, so when you look back on, so the Olympics has been a, a centerpiece of your life, obviously. And Mm -hmm. when you look back on it now, what are you most likely to remember? Or is there some, you know, people to ask you about the podium probably, but is there some other little moment that's about that experience that people don't ask about or that people wouldn't realize is still significant to you? Well, uh, that's a great question. And for our listeners out there, let's just try to imagine it this way. I'll try to do it in a short version, but uh, hopefully in layman's terms. 
you open up a watch and there's so many moving parts to make that thing go around for one hour. And we all have 24 hours in our day. The Olympic centerpiece during that time of my life was so much fun. Number one, because I trained for it. I was prepared. The U.S. team did everything in their power to train all of us. Uh, I was part of a, an era where we received, I believe, 11 medals, nine medals out of 11 events or 11 medals out of nine events. But, mm-hmm. you know, being a member of a team uh, to contribute and, and win a silver medal, uh, losing to my teammate who won the gold, uh, things like that. So, yeah, it's it's like that whole era in 84 for me, uh, preparing for this game, performing, uh, and making TV time every day because I came in as a non-seeded rider, like tennis. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have a seed. Uh, I had equal heat until I moved into a round of eight where you, now you're a seeded person and I just, you know, you win and you continue on, you lose, you go home. And every day I won and I continued on uh, right up until that final Sunday, per se, where I met my teammate in the final. Mm. Wow. What would it have been like had you been riding a modern bike back in 1984 in the Olympics? Did, have you ever imagined how that would have changed your experience? Um, the, that's another good question. Uh, I just saw a World Cup. I was at a World Cup in L.A. Uh, at the replacement velodrome for my Olympic velodrome. And the technology for our listeners today, my bike, my Olympic bike weighed 18 pounds. Hmm. And that was state-of-the-art, steel, handmade frame. Uh, hand-built wheels, uh, sewed on tires, you know, glued on tires. The bikes today are maybe now 14, 15 pounds, mm-hmm. maybe 16. They use The kids use bigger gear, so I would have just gone a half a second faster. I look at the kids' times today, me riding at 10.6, 10.3 as a world record time, the kids are riding 10.3 standard and 9.9, is now the qualifying time. So that's only a half a second off the mark versus equipment, disc wheels, uh, steel versus carbon. Um, But it's just like you look at uh, our NASCAR fans, you know, a little bit of wing adjustment, tire adjustment and pressure. Now they're going a half a second faster. The human eye cannot see that, Mm -hmm. but the clock is ticking and it tells you that, you know, so that's technology today. And uh, it's, you know, I was a part of, uh, I was an innovator during my era of coming up during the Olympic Games from the people that paved the road before me. And now I look at the kids who I paved the road for them to continue on with their success. Yeah, part of that ongoing evolution. I'm, you know, I'm imagining mm-hmm. you, I, I see you in the opening minutes of that movie Quicksilver that I mentioned in the intro where you're biking furiously mm-hmm. down the street and you're and you're reaching down to shift on the on the bike tube, you know, which is a much different experience than than today too. <laughs> yeah, today I touch buttons now. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so you know, I have buttons uh on my shifters, you know, things that, like that. That's right. So I'm fascinated by your career as a bicycle messenger as well. I, I don't know exactly how long that lasted, but I wondered what was the strangest thing you delivered as a bike messenger? Um, wow. That question has been asked in a while. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you don't know what you're delivering. I mean, you can go from wall street to an apartment, uh, from a grocery store 
to the Bentley dealer. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah, you you don't know what you have in that package. You just deliver it. And during my era, there was a handful of us that was really good, and there was a lot of messengers that was messengers. Hmm. Um, I, along with the good ones, we make we at that time it was sixty cents on the dollar versus fifty or forty cents on the dollar, and I can make I don't know as a kid. Back in the late seventies, early eighties, it was four hundred bucks a week cash. Nice, you know, take it home to my family, and uh, that was a lot of money back then. And I, I think you mentioned, you know, you talked about dimes, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, yeah, I was the era of the phone booth. You have a pocket full of dimes when you leave your house to call the dispatcher. You, you know, you call in, you stick a dime in the phone, you call in, you get your run. Usually, say pick up this deliver it, call me back. And now you have, you know, by that time the day is going. So now it's like, pick up these two stops, deliver the one, call me before you deliver the last one, you know, because usually upstairs or downstairs, you're picking up another package in the same building. So you don't have to double back things like that. So I was part of an era of, of some original gangsters that had bike handling skills still, still today I have bike handling skills. So, um, Things that you don't learn, you don't read in the book. You can only learn by trial and error. And when you, the error part could be deadly. How's that? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good point. When you're navigating uh, streets and, and cars and traffic and everything mm-hmm. else. Um, so what is there a place? You know, we've talked about your hometown. You've biked across Iowa. You, you bike in California. Is there some other exotic place in the world where you've spent time on two wheels that is also you know, continues to be on your bucket list? You just want to go back uh, to bike it again? Um, not really bucket list to go back, but you know, as a child, um, I started my national team racing career living in Poland, Warsaw, Poland, and that was during the Cold War Cold War era. Mm-hmm. You know, the Eastern Bloc countries. So the, our coaching team from the Olympic training center was from Poland and they sent a group of us to Poland. We raced in East Germany, Russia, all the Eastern Bloc countries. And then a few Italian, France countries, you know, throughout the summer season year. But as a child racing for the national team, uh, we just raced our hearts out and you go from city to city, country to country. What was and, it? Uh, yeah. It was what, a great what, opportunity. What was it like? Uh, I guess, racing in the Soviet bloc or seeing life uh, on the other side of the Cold War at that time? It must have been a little bit of a living history lesson for you. Well, you know, uh, you look at it uh, outside of politics, and we were sportsmen. That's the word for it. We were sportsmen. So we were in the part of the newspaper. We brought joy. Uh, we was not part of any politics at all. Uh, we were there for sport. We had sport visas. And you raced, and people came out and enjoyed your performance, um, win or lose. And it was kind of nice. And, you know, you talk about history, being the first African-American to win an Olympic medal in cycling. Mm-hmm. You know, I was the first African-American to go live and race in these countries. Uh, outside of Major Taylor, doing it in Australia, France. But to be in the Eastern Bloc countries and be able to travel the world and, and go through a passport in a year. How's that? You know, one year, uh, 1983, I think I, I used up all the pages in my passport to where I had to go back to Washington. They had to add pages. 
because I ran out of, you know, there was no place to stamp my passport. Wow. Yeah. What was, what's that, what was that like to, I guess, you know, become an icon and to push the envelope uh, as an African-American man, not just an athlete, not just a bicyclist, but that, I mean, that's become part of your thumbnail biography too. How do you feel about that? And, you know, I guess that whole notion of you advancing, uh, you know, just advancing the cause for African-Americans around the globe. Well, you know, Kyle, um, raised in Harlem and my family is very worldly. I would like to say we're cultural aware and I was brought up that way. So, uh, I didn't know color growing up, uh, as a youth, um, going to public schools, starting out with Catholic school, but going to public schools, uh, I was not taught that way. I was not programmed that way. Uh, and all of these things of learning my accomplishments are just coming to surface now because I'm retired. And now I can look back on those days. Uh, but during that time of racing and being immersed in my racing career, traveling the world as the only African-American, some cities, some not, um, I never looked at it that way or the other athletes, I believe the same way. We were all equal. We were kids. We were racing. We were having a good time. We wanted some ice cream. You know things like that, um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm blessed to be able to say that. Uh, just being so culturally aware, a lot of America is unaware of that word, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they really never left their state or their city, town yet, mm-hmm. and can be on their bucket list. But um, for me to be able to speak five languages at one time, not fluently, but enough to understand directions and have some courtesy dinner table words um, was a blessing in my life as well. And that's just paying attention and not being a lazy American. (laughs) Well, you've been cross-cultural for so long and have seen the world in your career for so many decades. Politics is such a (laughs) such a uh, present question with us now in the last year or two. Do you think that I mean, has the world gotten better or worse in your lifetime? Uh, do you feel more or less hopeful? Uh, like you say, you were bicycling in the Cold War. The Cold War ended. We have a much different situation today. Do you feel do you feel better or worse about the state of the world today? Um, I'm pretty neutral about it. I'm pretty neutral about it. Again, I wake up in the morning. I put my pants on one leg at a time like every man does. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have my 24 hours that I have to deal with like everyone else, uh, how I manage that time. But, you know, with what I did back then, uh, there'll never be a tell all book. <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> ever. And, um, you know, my friends at that time, um, uh, we have a memory that we only share a lot of more successful pros. They're running cycling teams now, but, we see each other anywhere at any cycling event now, and we can remember back in those times when we were kids and we were racing, you know? Yeah, um, that's great. That's it. But, you know, the modern day for the kids today, it's open now. You know, uh, visas or maybe easier to come by. Um, maybe not, but uh, look at the World Cups now, and it's just like it was when I was racing then. They're in different cities, different countries, so these kids are traveling just as much as I did 30 years ago. Right. Right. Well, this Nelson Cheetah, uh, this has been a great conversation. I appreciate you coming on the podcast, but we always end an interview with a special question for every guest. 
And it's a tough one. So get ready. <clears throat> Here we go. What is your favorite kind of pie? <laughs> I have two favorites, but you need one. Oh, well, you can, you can, people have cheated before, so I'll let you give me two if you want. You sure? I don't have to cheat. Uh, I'm a sweet potato pie kind of guy, and I'm a pecan pie kind of guy. Uh, nice. So I think we've had pecan before, but you might be the first one to answer sweet potato pie. So I like that. Are these... Yeah, not pumpkin, sweet potato. Are these, uh, you know, childhood sort of memories? Uh, mom or some relative made them oh, for yeah. you? Oh, yeah. yeah I, when you ask that question, I smiled because, you know... I was I was not a well-behaved kid, but I was pretty good when it came to pie, you know, and, and you know, if there's any kids out there and you parents that are listening to this podcast, you know, I am so, I'll use this word again very highly, I am so blessed to be able to get a spanking, <laughs> do as I'm told, and get this, family, you guys have got to smile. You know, I was a young man that had to learn to clean the bathroom, clean the bathroom. That was part of my chores. So I tell kids today, clean the bathroom. The bathroom always has to be lady ready. I remember <laughs> my dad telling me this, your bathroom has to be clean and lady ready. You do not want a woman to come to your house and you have a dirty bathroom. They'll never come back. And it's like, okay, dad, you know, make your bed. Uh, I couldn't go outside and play unless I made my bed, you know, and I had my little choice, simple things that kids. I don't see doing today, but hey, before you go out and play, you need to take out the trash and put a new trash bag in. Okay. You know, and then I got anything I wanted come Christmas time because the light bulb came on and I learned to do these chores when I was told. Wow. Well, and the extra bonus was to do them before I was told. <laughs> well, thanks, Nelson. That's uh, some good advice to wrap up the interview at, uh, with a well-disciplined cheetah. So I appreciate that. <laughs> Well, thank you, Kyle. I just have one thing to say to our listeners as well before you cut this off. You bet. All right. You remember this. Details, details, details. Things to do, things to things to do, things to get done. Don't bore anyone with the details. Just get it done. That's great. All right. Well, thanks, Nelson. We will look forward to uh, riding with Nellie in the future. And you have a have a great year out there on the on the road and on the trails. All right. Just keep an eye on me on YouTube and all kinds of stuff, social media. I'm out there. Okay. Take care. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to Parrot Talk. If it sounds like I'm in a rocket ship that's about to take off, it's because the heater kicked in while I was setting up, and I've been waiting about 20 minutes for it to turn off, and it hasn't yet. So if you can hear it, sorry. And if you can't, great. So the other day, I was talking to my friend and fellow ninja, Kathy Murphy from the Iowa Bicycle Coalition, and we got to wondering, why do they call clip-in pedals clipless pedals? Because everyone knows when you put your foot on the pedal, you clip in. And when you take your foot off the pedal, it's called clipping out. So what's the deal with that? So long story short, we're going to learn some history today. Now keep in mind that this is all information that I got off the internet. So it may not be 100% true, but it is 100% believable. So we are going to go with it. So as we've discussed in previous episodes of Just Go Bike, the first bikes didn't even have pedals at all. It was just Flintstone style where you propel yourself using your feet. Then the platform pedal came along and that worked great until people started using bikes for racing and for cargo and they really needed to start getting some more bang for their buck. And from there, the toe cage was invented. Although Wikipedia calls it the quill pedal, I 
don't know why, but I've always called it the toe cage or the toe clip. And that's where the clip comes in. That little metal piece on the front of the pedal that your foot slides into is technically called the toe clip because it clips your foot in there like a paper clip. And eventually a little piece of leather was added as well to really hold your foot in there. And that is the downside of a toe cage because you have to actually release that piece of leather so that you can get your foot out of the pedal. And as many of you know, that type of pedal was popular all the way through the 1980s and is still in use today, especially by hipsters. The very first clipless pedals, and I didn't know this, were invented in 1895 by a guy named Charles Hansen, although they obviously weren't widely used at the time, and they weren't widely used all the way up until about 1971 when Chinelli developed a clipless pedal, which was officially called the M71, but it was unofficially called the Death Cleat because you had to reach down and operate a little lever to unclip your shoes. So honestly, that doesn't even sound that much better than toe cages, but they thought it was better because you get a lot more propulsion from each pedal since you're really stuck on that pedal. In theory, if you crashed with the M71s, that lever would engage when you hit the ground, but it sounds like it didn't work that well. The first truly widely used clipless pedals was developed in 1984 by the French ski binding company called Look. And you can get pedals that are very similar to that original design in Shields or any sporting goods store today. And I never really thought about how look pedals are really similar to a ski binding, but actually if you think about it, they really are. Those look pedals were used in the 1985 Tour de France and that really popularized the pedals and they just took off from there. Now we have so many different options. The SPD style pedals, which are really popular with sandals on Ragbri, or the egg beater style mountain bike pedals, or you name it, they got it. So long story short, clipless pedals means that they don't have that toe clip slash cage in the front of them, even though they actually clip in, although really technically it's more of a snap in or a slide in, if you really think about it. With that, I guess I'll just say I hope you learned something today, because I sure did. You'll be able to see Kathy Murphy and I on the first ever Pigtails ride on May 20th. It's an all-women's ride that we're just starting on Prairie Trail. So if you're interested in that, check out pigtailsride.com and join us. If you have something you'd like to ask me for Parrot Talk, you can send us a message at Just Go Bike on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Hashtag that Parrot Talk. Or you can send me an email at justgobikepodcast at gmail.com and squawk at you later. We've reached the end of the Just Go Bike podcast. You can find our show notes at justgobike.net. What do you want to talk about on this show? We want to hear from you. So find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Just Go Bike. Be sure to subscribe to the Just Go Bike podcast and join us each and every week. You can get those subscriptions for free at Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud, or iTunes. So all great things. So just remember, hey, we're here to talk about bikes, but don't just listen. You know, you want to get out and bike. So remember this little words of wisdom. Don't have a bucket list. Have a bike it list. That's all for now. Take care.
Thanks again for listening. Let us know what you think of the show by leaving a rating and a review. They really help us out a lot and help others find the show. For more information, check out justgobike.net. The show's theme song was written, produced, and performed by Ryan Steer. Brian Powers is the show's producer, and the Just Go Bike podcast is brought to you by the Des Moines Register, a part of the USA Today Network.